Good morning, church. How are you? Good, good. So we are in the final uh, sermon, part four of The Content Life. Uh, first service was great. First service was phenomenal. Uh, the Lord really moved, and I expect that he intends to do the same thing again this morning uh, because you showed up. And there's just this coincidence with God that whenever we expect him to do something, he doesn't disappoint. Can I get an amen from somebody? Um, I want to talk to you this morning about a word that we often might consider or chalk it up to just a religious word or something that doesn't really apply or it's an old Bible word. I want to talk to you about the word covenant covenant, covenant. I, I don't know if you have much experience with covenant or what it means, but I'll give you just the short version. In my own opinion, it is this. I choose you. That is covenant. I choose you. Like you can be in covenant relationship with your spouse, with your kids. How many know your kids will test, test that covenant relationship? They, two, two year olds, three year olds, they act like you are the enemy and you still say, I choose you every day. I choose you. Uh, you can be in covenant relationship with family, with friends, with neighbors, with people across the world. I choose you. When you're good, I choose you. When you're bad, I choose you. When you're rich, I choose you. When you're poor, I choose you. When you're white, I choose you. When you're black, I choose you. When you're educated, I choose you. When you're uneducated, I choose you. When you're well-fed and happy, I choose you. When you're hangry, you're on your own. <laughs> Father, we ask that you would just invade this territory right now, this place, this space that we call church. God, we've shown up today, not for a program, but for a transformation of our heart. And I thank you, God, that you're going to touch places of our soul that we didn't even know needed your touching. So God, bring healing to us, bring restoration and reconciliation among us. God, I just thank you that you are not only a hope giver, a dream giver, but you are a life sustainer. And I ask in the name of Jesus that by your Holy Spirit in the next 27 minutes and 20 seconds that there are going to be people in this room that are healed of asthma. There are going to be people in this room that are healed of arthritis in the name of Jesus. God, there are going to be marriages restored. There are going to be people who are traumatized by their own past decisions. Today, God, they're going to let it go. They're going to let it go and lean into the grace and the mercy and the favor of you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Covenant, covenant. I mean, look around in this environment in the church, and if you were to take a, a cross-section of people, even in this service, in this room, you will see covenant relationships. You'll see relationships that have run 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. Like the exchange church, you know, is only nine years old, but you will actually, you can see relationships among us 
that are farther than nine years old. And not just family either. Like you can see people who have done life together, who day after day have said, I choose you. Like I choose to do life with you. I choose to love you even if. We have encountered momentum in our church. I think mainly through the lives that have been lived together through the thick and the thin, like the hell and high water. You know what I'm saying? Some of us have lived lives with one another. It's been like hell, 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 high water, high water, high water, hell, hell, hell. It's not just hell, high water, move on to grace guys are going to clear up baby. But you stuck through it. Some of you that have been married for 50 years, you can say, I remember when I didn't think there was going to be a 50. I didn't think there was going to be a 10. Not me, you. I didn't think there was going to be a 15. I want to be careful what I say in that. But you somehow latched on to covenant. Uh, people come to this church as first-time guests often. You know one of the number one things that they say about this church? When, when I walked in, I don't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. I just felt accepted. I just felt like family. We hear that over and over. I don't know. I'm sure that was your experience too. You may not remember. We had someone in first service, the Dinsmores, Ryan and Lauren Dinsmore. Ryan is tatted up. He's kind of muscular. He's a barber. He cuts my hair. Cuts my hair this, he cut my hair this week and we were talking because this is their last Sunday here. They're moving out of state and we're going to miss their family, but they're family. And they raised their hand because I, I asked them a question that I'm about to ask you. I said, how many of you remember the first day you walked in and feeling that, that sense of I belong? And I asked that question first and he lifted his hand. Five years ago, they remember that moment that they walked in and they just felt on campus this sense of legacy and I belong. So I'll ask you, how many of you remember the first time you walked in, you couldn't put any words to it, you couldn't give a description to it, but you just thought, wow, I feel eerily comfortable with all of these freaks. How many of you? So many of us, yeah. And I'll tell you why I think that is, I don't know this to be true, but I think that is because we have a foundation of covenant that is building this house. A couple of examples, um, Michaela, who just did prayer. Michaela has known Alphony and Cheryl and, and our family has known the Biggs family for years, a decade at least prior to the start of the Exchange Church. I brought a photo of Michaela and Lawrence, not Lawrence, Michaela and Alphony. Can we show that photo? Look at that. We go way back. That's, we're, we're in covenant relationship. Like, Cheryl, right now she's back in production booth. I think, are you back there, Cheryl? <laughs> are you excited to be back there, Cheryl? Okay. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, Cheryl was in our children's ministry program. She was one of our leaders in College Station for a number of years before we came. Carrie and I, as you've heard the story, hopefully you remember, we were children's pastors for a decade and youth pastors for a decade and associate pastors for a decade before coming here, all in the same decade, not back to back. Cheryl was a part of that program with us, and, and she moved her family here in 2010 to start the church with us. We didn't bribe her. We didn't pay her. We, we didn't do, and she actually, she left a decent job in College Station, a consistent job, good job in College Station, gave that up 
moved here for a year, worked whatever hours she could at Walmart just to survive because we couldn't afford to pay her. That's covenant relationship. Like that's family. Do you know what I mean? We, we don't look alike, but we're family. We even argue sometimes, don't we, Cheryl? <laughs> We've been through it, haven't we, Alphany? See, he's already gone. We've been through it already so much. He's just, he's out. He knew I was in. So, I mean, Cheryl, you know, we're family. She works here now. I, we have the blessing to have her on team here. And every day we're, you know, hanging out, having fun, whatever. Just this week, for example, this is what family does. She blamed me for a receipt that she lost. She did. She, no, I did not lose it. So the last four days, every time we come and go, I'm like, hey, did you find your receipt? And she was like, whenever you give it to me. And I, I keep telling her, I don't have your receipt. I wouldn't have asked for that receipt. That doesn't make any sense, Cheryl. You lost the receipt. And besides, even if I did find the receipt and I found that I had it, I would plant it in your stuff anyway. So this isn't going to go anywhere. So we're family. I have another picture. My son, Micah, he lives in Australia. He's 24 years old. He's married. Um, We'll not show it. I'll show it in a second, but he's 24. I'm about to be a grandfather in February. He's married to a, a lovely girl named Rachel. Uh, this is a photo with, of my son, Micah, with someone else in this church. Let's see if you can recognize who that someone else is. Chad, will you please stand up in the back? Look at Chad. Chad is 24 years old. He and, that's him and Micah singing. Um, I'm not related to Chad. I understand we're both extremely white. <laughs> Verge of albino. But we're, we're just not related by blood, but we're, we're family. We're in covenant. And I could tell you story after story after story after story. Um, Lydia for example, Lydia's on vacation. She's not here with us today. Jenny's mom, Jenny's mom, Lydia. We've known that woman years, 20 plus years before, or right when Carrie and I got married 25 years ago, we got married and I went into the military and we had Micah and Carrie was alone trying to raise Micah. She was living with my parents briefly while I was in San Antonio at basic. And then I had to go to Biloxi, Mississippi for tech training. And during that time, Micah started crawling. I missed a lot of benchmarks, milestones in his life. And Carrie, it was tough. Carrie was a single mom. And who, who was one of the women that had a voice into her life? Lydia. Lydia prayed over her, encouraged her, spoke life into her. This past Monday at Awaken, who was the woman that was hugging my wife. They were crying together and Lydia was praying over, speaking over, encouraging my wife. Lydia, again, like that happens through covenant relationships. That happens when you say, I'm here no matter what. You may tell me to go, but I'm sorry, I'm not gonna listen. I'm here, you're stuck with me. Like we're in this thing, good or bad, you're stuck with me. Like you might as well start liking me because you're not getting rid of me. Pause. I'm not talking about abuse. Can we just set abuse off this topic of conversation today? Because covenant does not make room for abuse. If you're being abused, you're not in a covenant relationship. Play, we're back in. Okay, 
We're in this thing through the good, through the bad, whether I like you, whether I don't, whatever you do, we're in this thing. That's covenant, covenant relationship. Now, a content life, if you want to live a content life, it is marked by stability and security. Stability and security come when you understand covenant. Many of us have heard the word. We think we know what it means, but I want to just describe it to you today. I want to describe what covenant actually looks like because this is a house of covenant. And by the way, should you be one of those amazing hand-selected people chosen by God to step into the story in the last nine years and you don't have the 15, 20, 30-year legacy of covenant in this room, the moment you said yes to partner your heart and your faith with this house, you adopted that legacy into your bloodline and you now carry with you the covenant history that has been birthed before you ever showed up. So, so there's not any poor me or pity parties and I don't, I don't get to be a part of this and my family lives way out of state and all of you guys, are, no, we're, we're all in this together. And I get to benefit on the backs of other people who, who fought some battles I don't have to fight. And you get to benefit because there are people that came before you that are fighting battles that you don't have to fight. Covenant relationship allows us to step into lasting legacy rather than starting fresh on our own. In John chapter 12, in John chapter 12, 23 through 24, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The seed has to die to create a harvest. Can we just admit today that we live in a cancel culture? You don't like something, cancel it. Right? You don't like Disney Plus after seven days, cancel it. Come on now. Come on. You don't, you don't like the marriage? Cancel it. You don't like the baby in your womb? We got a procedure for that. You don't like the size of your breast? We can fix that too. You don't like the size of your love handles? No, a guy. It's cancel culture. You get life your way on your terms rather than you trusting in a God to live life on life's terms. You try to create and build a world that makes you happy. And we are so good about if we don't like it, we run. Oh, maybe we don't run out the door, but we isolate and we shield our heart and we keep the person far from us because we are afraid to risk it. Covenant isn't afraid to risk it. Covenant understands that even if God shows up. Jesus says that the grain of wheat must fall to the ground and die for there to be a harvest. In the Old Testament, what is covenant? Maybe I can paint a picture for you. Because the reality is we are bearers of covenant. God is a covenant-keeping God. And we are 
God's children. We are lovers of God. Therefore, we must be lovers of covenant. And we must be keepers of covenant. But if you don't know what covenant is, you don't know how to keep it. So let me explain. In Old Testament, God made many covenants, one of them with Abraham. The way covenants were made in the Old Testament, they would take a bull. A bull is about a thousand pounds, massive, it's huge. And they would cut it right down the middle, like the midline of the bull. They'd have the front leg, the back leg, and I don't know if they did the tail, if it went left or right, or they just cut it right down the middle. They would just cut it down the midline, and then they'd pull the bull over here, the left side, then they'd get the right side, and they would pull it here, and they'd leave a small little gap between the two. A thousand pounds of bones, tendons, muscles, ligaments, flesh, juices, innards, poop. (laughs) Spread between. Then after the bull, they'd take a heifer, A heifer weighs a little bit less than a bull, and they'd cut that heifer right down the middle, the midline. I don't know, heifers, what do they weigh? 700 pounds, 750, 800, depends on how much you feed them, how how hungry they are. You cut the heifer right down the middle, and they go further than the bull just a little bit, and they pull that heifer this way, and they get the right side, and they pull that half of the heifer this way. You got 700 pounds of bones, tendons, ligaments, juices, innards, and poop. They'd do the bull, do the heifer, then they'd take a ram. What's a ram weigh? I don't know. Never had a ram, never touched a ram. Scared of a ram, actually. Let's call it 200 pounds. They'd cut the ram higher. Let, let me go higher, Luis. 300 pounds. Three? Four. Can I get a 425? <laughs> Sold. 400 pounds, Luis says, rams are. They take that 400 pound ram, they cut it right down the midline, and they'd pull the ram this way, and they'd pull the ram this way, and they've got 400 pounds of bones, tendons, ligaments, muscles, juices, innards, and poop. And then the two people that were going to make a covenant would walk side by side, right down the middle, between the animals. Their, their gowns dragging through the innards, the juices, the poop. They get to the end of the death row and they look back with the idea that if either one of us break this agreement, we hope that that will happen to us. This was before attorneys. This was when a man's word was his bond. This was when you said, I do, it actually meant till death do you part, not till, ah, you're killing me, I gotta get out of here. You see, covenant relationship is finding yourself at the end of a line when you and that person, whoever that person is, you have gone through death together. You have gone through hell and high water together. You have gone through bankruptcy together. You have gone through losing a child together. You have gone through insecurity together. You have gone through so much hell and high water that someday you look back and you remember, that's what we went through. And we still maybe carry the stench on our garments. Maybe the 
the end and the hem of your garment is still a little bit bloody from what you went through. But you went through it. Jesus said in John 12 that the purpose of the seed is to die. To fall to the ground and be consumed so that it can multiply. The trick for us in modern Christianity is that we are often tempted to shy away from covenant relationship and living a life of preserving ourselves. I'm going to get my piece of the pie. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that me and mine survive. And that's great. That's just not gospel. The enemy confuses us even in a, in a, in a holy way. We, we think we're somehow holy if we just isolate ourselves in Jesus. If I can just me and Jesus get close, for, forget the church. I don't need the church. Forget relationships. I don't need relationships. God, what are you going to do through me? The problem is God doesn't want to just do something through you. He wants to do something through us. And so we get confused and we get excited thinking God is using us. Meanwhile, we're walking around not as family of God, as bastards of God. Orphans who don't understand that we need each other. I need you. You need me. I know you don't think it. You know, I know that you think I'm goofy, but you need me. And I need you. I don't, I don't know when or why or how or what, but someday you're going to need what God has locked up inside of me. What God has given me authority over, you're going to need. And, and I'm going to need what God has given you authority over because I'm going to wrestle in that someday. Like we need each other. And if we can just take our eyes, lift our eyes off of the conflict and the division that the enemy tries to stir up among us and we get off of us and on to him, we can understand this idea of covenant. I choose you. I choose you. Maybe we're not living a content life because we're so focused on building our own world. What if your own world doesn't actually even exist? What if I told you you weren't ever given a heartbeat and breath in your lungs to build something significant that you can call your own? What if I told you that in the first seven days of creation, the entire purpose of God was laid out for all of mankind and career wasn't in there and money wasn't in there and all of these things, you know, the entire six days of God doing stuff, you know what the goal was? Day seven, rest. What if I told you that everything in your life God wants to use not for you to succeed more, but for you to find more rest in him? That's found through covenant. It's found when you show up to church when you don't feel like it. Because you understand it's not about what you're getting today. That's the land of opportunity. That's not gospel. It's not gospel. Do you hear me? It's not gospel. It's not gospel for us to want to invest only when we get a return. 
It is gospel to show up and be there for your sons and your daughters, even when you've had a bad day, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't have money. That's what Jesus does. It's gospel to look around your car when you see a homeless person on crutches with one leg and see if you got an empty or a bottle of water or food that you can give them. That, that's gospel. Like it's, it's not gospel to say, I'm out, I'm out of time, I got to race through. What are you and I doing to create covenant relationships? Because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of sick of church, building church as friends. You know why? Because friends were never able to build kingdom. It's a great illusion, isn't it? That the more you and I become friends, the more we can build together. That's not true. The more we become brothers and sisters in covenant relationship, refusing to give up, that's how kingdom is built. That's how Christianity, Christianity began by Jesus laying down his life for you and I. Proverbs 18.1 says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Listen, we're not going to build covenant relationship by isolating ourselves. And it's tempting, right? Isn't it just so tempting? It is tempting to hide in a corner and not talk and not call and not text and not show up and make people wonder and isolate because if, if I don't get close to you, you can't hurt me. It's better for me to be a self-made man than to ever realize there's no such thing as a self-made man. You cannot affect me because I'm here alone. I'm not a person of covenant. I'm a person of opportunity. I'm not here to become part of the fabric of what God is doing. Some people believe that, but the reality is you and I are people of covenant. Our whole life is on display. And my purpose is always to send the message to other people around me that I am willing to do whatever it takes to protect our relationship. I was watching a show last night that Carrie introduced me to. It's called Blue Bloods. And any of you seen Blue Bloods? Two of you. Three, four. Okay. It's actually pretty brilliant. It's a great show. My wife, Marathon, watches it. When she has the, the rare opportunity to sit down and watch TV, she'll be like, you want to watch Blue Bloods or something else? And she's being all kind. I'm like, I know what she wants. Blue Bloods is fine. And so last night we were watching Blue Bloods, and I don't know what night the show was on, but we watched it last night. And they're sitting around the table and they're talking about how, uh, about family. And they ask the question, well, what would we do for each other? Like at what point, because so much family had been exploding around them, like just things not going well. And they said, at what point is that line where it's like, no, that's not going to be okay. And the dad or the granddad, um, what's it? Tom Selleck, Magnum PI. Magnum PI is sitting there and he's the grandfather. He's the police commissioner. And he says, I don't know what that line is, but let's just all agree at this table to never test and see where that line is. 
Isn't that great? To love each other enough that we vow to not test the line where someone would need to walk away. Any of you seen the show John Q? Denzel Washington, the, the best actor ever, ever. I, I'm pretty sure he's just an angel. He's just like an angel. We're entertaining angel, angels unaware. Surprise, he's an entertaining angel. Um, he's like awesome. He's a man of God, but his, his talent is through the roof. I love Denzel so much. And John Q, is he has this son, and his son collapses on the field. It rushes him to the doctor. He needs a heart transplant. John doesn't have insurance. I think I'm getting this story right. I may have missed some details, but either way, my story is going to be great. Um, John Q, part two. Um, so he takes him to the hospital, and the doctors won't operate. You know, they're like, hey, you've got you to find some money. John doesn't have insurance. And he's stressing out. He and his wife are, like, upset because their son is, is getting really, really bad. There's this one one part in the show where John's truck, which is his prized possession, goes driving off as he sells it, trying to get money for his son to have the operation. And you just see the despair on his face. And the wife comes out and she says, John, you got to do something. When a wife says, do something, you do something. Right, guys? So he does something. John Q does something. He gets, a, I think, a 9 millimeter. He gets a handgun, goes to an ER, and he holds everyone hostage. She said, do something. He's going to do something. And his son's in that hospital. And, I mean, this is just purely the hand of God. There happened to be a world-class heart surgeon held hostage in that ER that John Q held up. And so he's, he's demanding that they fix his son, and this heart surgeon looks at John and says, your son's levels are dropping. We're going to lose him he doesn't get a new heart and John Q with a gun in hand says take mine then there's some really old sage very wise guy in the waiting room that says yo man that means you'd be dead (laughs) but the heart of the father is sacrifice We are brilliant, we are talented, we are smart. We we have so many hopes and dreams. You're gonna do things in this world. You're going to be great. This is the message that we are sending the younger generations. And, And it is true, God has a plan. I believe more in the millennials and Gen Gen Z than I have any other generation. Boomers, you're great. Gen, Gen X, hey, yo, we we great. We brought Atari. But This younger generation, I believe in them more than any generation before. They are going to get the gospel all around the world. They are going to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ, known as the rapture, which is a real thing. It's not a false thing. He's coming soon, church. He's coming soon. And we're we're really blessed he's not come today because you still have time to get right. But in a twinkling of an eye, he will call his saints home. The dead in Christ will rise. The light and the dark will be separated like that. And let me tell you, it is, it is coming soon. So I believe in this generation. 
But while we're telling this generation how awesome they are and how great they're going to be, let's not forget to temper that message with, you must live a life of sacrifice. All of the grandeur circles around sacrifice. All of biblical success centers around sacrifice. Having healthy relationships, flourishing families, circles around sacrifice. I've got two stories that I want to tell you and then I'll close. How many of you have ever been to the Redwood Forest? The Redwoods are, how many of you have ever seen it on National Geographic TV, magazine, computer? How many of you have heard of the word Redwood? Wow, I'm just trying to get 100% and I'm at 50. This is so sad, sad. For the half of you that have never heard of the word Redwoods, um, I just want you to know that they are massive trees, massive trees. They're about 300 feet tall and there's a whole forest of them. And if you look on the map, and I'm gonna look at the map with you, on the left side of the United States, you've got California. The Redwoods go through California. They go through Oregon and then they go through Washington. It's massive forest, the redwoods, 300 feet tall. Been there, been there, been around for 1,500 years. Long time, long time of weather and storms. Can we turn these keys down, please? They're too loud, I can't think. Thanks. Science tells us that a taproot on a tree should be 30% of the height of a tree. So if the redwood is 300 feet tall, the tap root should be how deep? 100 feet, that's correct. Because that tap root stabilizes the tree. All trees are this way. They have a root that is approximately 30% of its height. And in 1500 years, the redwoods have weathered storm after storm after storm after storm. And they don't have a, a taproot of 100 feet. They have a taproot of six feet. Six feet. Six feet for a 300 foot tall, that's 30 story tall tree. Are you kidding me right now? How does it stay standing? It stays standing because it has lateral roots that are thousands of feet in length and they go sideways and they intertwine between the other roots of the other trees and around other trees and they're connected to every other redwood that those roots come anywhere near. It is just an incredible tapestry of roots. And when the winds come and the storms come and the trees begin to shake, there creates a little bit of shift and every tree in the forest kind of nestles down and grabs root, takes up any slack in the root system. So every storm makes the entire tree system stronger. Not because any tree could stand alone on its own, but because every tree can stay standing when every tree stands together with every tree. So one tree looks at another and says, I know, <laughs> I know you feel like giving up, but not today. 
We can't let you fall today. We can't let you go down today. Not on our watch because you know what happens when you go down? You take 10 others with you. It's not going to happen today. I know, I know you, you don't feel like you can stay standing because your taproot is too short. It's supposed to be that way. You weren't designed to keep yourself standing from the beginning. You were designed to lean on one another. And when those storms of life come, it shakes up the root system. It does, but that's what covenant relationship looks like. And as things shift and change, we just nestle down just a little bit more. Because that's what covenant relationship does. There was this guy last story. He won the blue ribbon corn year after year after year. He, he, he planted and he harvested corn that, that won the blue ribbon first place year after year after year after year for like a decade or more. And people could not understand how this guy kept winning the blue ribbon corn. So they went to him and they said, Hey, farmer Jaron, how, do you, how are you winning the blue ribbon corn year after year? And, and the farmer said, oh, that's easy. Every year I take seeds from the winter and I give it to all of my neighbors. So in front of my acreage, to the side of my acreage, behind my acreage, and to the other side of my acreage, all of my neighbors have planted the winning seed from last year's blue ribbon corn so that when the storms come and the winds blow, the pollen that blows across my field is only pollen from winning corn from last year. Maybe we don't feel content in life because we've let some old seed take up residence near our acreage. You see, it really does matter who's in front of you and who's behind you and who's to your left and who's to your right. When the winds come blowing, what kind of pollen is going over your crops? Is it pollen of faith or is it pollen of fear? Is it pollen of anticipation of the goodness of God or is it anticipation and anxiety of the end that's to come? Covenant relationships allow you and I to believe in one another. You see, I, I am nurtured and nourished with hope and expectancy that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Whether you're in conflict, in failure, in betrayal, betrayal's real, church, it's real. Good people hurt good people. I mean, I'm, I'm finding that to be true, right? The more you love people, the longer you live with people, the more you realize, man, they're people. They're human. This is the reality that we embrace in covenant relationship. In covenant relationship, I get to embrace the reality that you are going to fail and be okay with that. I, I get to embrace the reality that I am going to fail and understand that God's gonna work that out inside of me. I get to embrace the reality that you're going to disappoint me because you will. And, and I'm, I get to embrace the reality that I'm going to disappoint you. Don't say amen here, but I will. I'm going to disappoint you. 
even in a great church like the Exchange Church where we have a foundation of covenant relationships, I'm going to disappoint you. You know why? Because I'm a human too. Don't put me on your pedestal. I don't belong there. The oxygen is way too low down up there. I'm going to disappoint you, but I get in covenant relationship to be okay with the fact that we are all broken, moving towards a holy God. And we're not okay. We're not okay living in sin. We're not okay calling evil things right. That's not what I'm saying today. I'm simply saying that God is okay with where I stand today. And if God has stamped his stamp of approval, so should you. God is okay where you stand today. As long as you're moving forward and you're leaning in, we get to embrace the reality because someday I'm gonna have what you need and you're gonna have what I need. But together, we all get to make blue ribbon corn. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. God, I thank you that we are standing in decades of covenant relationships. God, I I understand that culture is to be selfish. Culture is to be critical, isolated, scared of love. But God, we push back. We push back as a people of you to show the heart of our father, the heart of our father that is one of sacrifice, one that is of love, of servanthood. And God, I thank you that I don't have to be concerned that I'm not, I'm not able to walk all of this out perfectly. I'm going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. But here's, here's the great news, Lord. It's not me doing this. It's you. Because you said in Galatians 2.20 that I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So God, we give you full permission to reign and to rule in all of our relationships, in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me today?